Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice, and with me, as always, is Ellie Mistal. The sun came out. The sun actually came out. It it, it did, and uh, I can officially report now that it is the hottest day on record in New York City for uh, this particular calendar day. That's the BS. This is going to be one of those seasons where like, you go from winter to summer with no spring. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like it. I mean, what, before we start off, just we should acknowledge that, once again, we are... We're sponsored by Major Lindsay in Africa, so thank you to them. The uh, whoop, whoop. legal search firm is sponsoring this podcast, so now we will lead into uh, Ellie telling us about what's irritating him right at the moment. So at the moment, one of the things that's in my inbox for, for me to have to deal with is next week is family share day at my uh, five-year-old school um, for our family. So family share day, it's a little bit like... It's half show and tell, half bring your daddy to school day, where you where you have to you have to go with your family and share something that's like important to your family with the whole class. All right, it's a super you know we go to one of these like ritzy progressive private schools, so great, all about sharing. So we're kind of late in the schedule, and when I was told about this, um, I obviously said, "Well, my wife's from Zimbabwe," so I was like, "Well, we're gonna share something about Zimbabwe to like teach all these other white kids some some truths about the world." Um, and we were quickly informed with, "Oh, well, that's interesting, but another family just did South Africa, so maybe something." And I was like, "The the 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 white South African family?" And they were like, "Uh huh." I was like, "Well, how's that? Like that doesn't count. That is." So my wife basically punched me and didn't let me kind of go off on that track until we went home, at which point I was pretty annoyed that the white South African family got to talk about Africa, but the black Zimbabwean family doesn't get to talk about because it's already been done. I don't think that's right. At which point, you know, my wife reminded me that I am not from Africa. No, but you could have shared all that you know about the wilds of Long Island. Right, that that I have. Uh, she suggested more kindly than you are that I have a little bit of a lack of credibility um, on this particular topic, which then made me feel like, well, all right, well, my father, my ancestry, um, is from Haiti. That would actually be a very interesting thing. And you know, kids like sugar. Yeah. Let's tell them where that comes from, huh? Yeah. Let's tell them about the blood and sweat and tears that went into their Fruit Loops. And I think that's exactly what five-year-olds are looking for. Is that kind of a layout. My wife's suggestion is that we teach the kids how to sing Alligator's Old Top Hat, which is one of their favorite nursery rhymes, oh. and read a scaredy squirrel story. That seems certainly much more appropriate to the age, but, you know, do you do you. So what I have to choose for next week is the history of sugar production in Haiti mm-hmm. or scaredy squirrel. Which way would you go? I mean... I'd probably go with Haiti, but that's also <laughs> this also brings us back to why I don't have kids and, you know, most of human society is happy about that. Raising woke children is diff- the struggle is real. I mean, hey, but you say that as if uh, you sound like a guy who's not read Scaredy Squirrel. <laughs> um, so that's fascinating. You want to 
if if you guys you're if, comfortable if, now. If, look, after you get the hear the episode, if you want to like tweet at me and vote which way I should go, I'll be taking suggestions. Right oh, that's fair. Yes. Yeah, so at LENYC, tweet at him whether he should talk to children about the only successful slave revolt in history or Scaredy Squirrel. Yes. Yeah. All right. I'll vote first. <laughs> I think it's going to be a close, close one. It could be. So, all right. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back. Wondering what lies ahead on the road to success? Whether you're looking to advance your legal career or grow your legal team, Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape. With more than 35 years of experience in legal recruiting, Major Lindsay helps law firms and legal departments thrive in today's ever-changing market and matches lawyers and legal professionals with opportunities where they can flourish. Learn more at mlaglobal.com. And we're back. So... You have kids. I don't. But we're going to be talking all about kids today of a sort. Um, or at least creating them. Yes. More, more of the creating them part. Our guest today is Ellen Trackman. She's the managing attorney of the Trackman Law Center in uh, Denver. And that's, she specializes in assisted reproductive technology law adoption and estate planning. She also is a columnist at Above the Law, which is a website that I would hope everyone listening reads. And, or has uh, at least heard of. And she has a podcast, which is I Want to Put a Baby in You, which is the best possible name for a podcast about this subject. Uh, so welcome to the show, Ellen. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, and I think I should start by voting. So yeah. I, I definitely vote for Haiti as long as it comes with giving the kids sugar, because parents, teachers, everyone really appreciates that. And the kids especially. So exactly go right. Haiti. So yeah, a lot of what we do on this show uh, strays from this core concept. But the core concept of the show is to talk to lawyers who have interesting practices that, you know, yeah. people coming out of law school wouldn't necessarily think that's a thing I could do with my law degree. So tell us a little bit about right. the assisted reproductive game. Yeah, I would be happy to. And, and at first, I will have to say my goals for being on the podcast. Initially, I wanted to promote my own podcast, which talks about assisted reproductive technology. But then I listened to some of your episodes and I decided my other goal coming on here has to be to give people hope if they're at a little law school like Emory or something that you guys bag on and say that there is a hope for your future. Know that. So you, you should know that. It's okay. You can have a future. But yes. Okay. So um, so I was a, a big law attorney myself back in the day. I worked for Sidley Austin doing hedge fund work. But um, I stumbled across this area of assisted reproductive technology law, which is the longest title possible for an area of law. And we, we shorten it to art law, which is really awkward because some people are like, oh, paintings. And that's not what it is. Um, it's, you know, making babies without sex. Um, but anyway, so most of it it's painting is painting on is the canvas contra- of the womb. Yes. Oh, yes. Good. With gametes. um, But yeah, so most of what I do is contract work with um, arrangements with third party reproduction. So if you have to use an egg donor or a sperm donor or using a surrogate, and then there's some court work too, because if you have a surrogate, the law assumes, sometimes wrongly, that the woman who's giving birth is the legal mother of that child. And with surrogacy, that's not the case. We have to go and get a court order that overrides that and says, no, 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 she's you know the caregiver for these nine months, but really it's these other people that are the parents. Aside from that, it's just really an incredibly fascinating area of law. As you mentioned, I write a column. And 
there is news every day, just like crazy, crazy stories in this area where gametes are mixed up and doctors are using their own sperm against their patient's knowledge. And, you know, embryos are being given to a two-year-old to decide what to do with his quote-unquote siblings later. Um, and so, yeah, it's hard to, sometimes with a column, I have to decide which crazy news story to write on each week. Well, if we can focus on one crazy news story, just because it was one of the most gangbusters stories of about the law all last year, the uh, situation yeah. where you have two siblings, uh, twins, as the case was, who are citizens of different countries. Yes, yes. Um, yes, the Josh Banks case is uh, what you're referring to that was pretty big last year and is still a current case. So uh, this, this sweet couple, so Andrew... Josh, not Josh, but Andrew Banks at the, before he got married. Okay, so this uh, this man from California met the love of his life while he was in Israel, but unfortunately, gay marriage was not permitted there. So they moved to Canada, where he was a dual citizen. They got married, lived happily ever after by deciding to have twin children. And in that process, they used an egg donor and they fertilized half the eggs with one of their sperm and half of the other. And this is actually fairly common with gay couples who who choose to have children by surrogacy and then they transferred to embryos and they got lucky that they both took and so the surrogate gave birth to healthy twins genetically related to each one of them but then half siblings to each other by uh, the egg donor same same egg donor right. so eventually they decide that they want to move back to to LA and they go before the the US immigration office and they said okay these are our, our children and under canadian law they are both on the birth certificate so they're both the parents by canadian law they're but, both the uh, parents of both children in, in of canadian. both children yes so they're they're both parent one parent two for both children equally regardless of genetic connection no i mean no no identifying genetic connection for any child but when they go to this immigration office, the immigration officer decides to exercise their discretion to ask for DNA testing. So, I, I mean, I guess they are tipped off that there could be a DNA issue because those two dads, possibly. I don't know. But anyway, discrimination. That's yeah, profiling. Right. So, right? Ah! So, uh, so they do, you know, they come back with DNA testing, which of course shows that uh, the U.S. citizen was only genetically related to one child. And so, U.S. immigration decides to grant you know, U.S. citizenship to one of the twins and not to the other. So, you know, Andrew was coming for his job and he, he had to come start his job and his, his husband came with him and the second baby, you know, his other baby came with him on a visitor's visa. Uh, and I think that's now expired, but they filed a, a case now to, to try to fight it. So, wow. Yeah, our country can be yeah. disgusting sometimes. So much questions. One of my questions is, you know, from a from a big law perspective, you said you used to work at Sidley. Um, I did. This comes up a lot in the big law context um, with women who are career oriented, pushing, pushing, pushing for for a partner. Um, sorry, pushing, pushing, pushing for law partner, um, yeah. not necessarily <laughs> pushing for life partner. Um, and they get to, you know, a point where they're trying to figure out. Should they freeze their eggs? Should they, you know, how they can, ex what's the best way of putting it? How they can extend their uh, fertility. Um, yeah. Do you have, you know, I guess, so question one is kind of like, when do you need to kind of start thinking uh, of that? And then two, kind of more importantly, like what are some of the, the pitfalls um, that people in that situation kind of could easily avoid if they were kind of thinking about it more clearly? 
Right. Okay. So let me give the disclaimer. Of course, I'm a lawyer, not a doctor. So right, of course. you should right. definitely talk to your doctor. They'll give you the real medical advice. Um, but also kind of like the, the understanding from the lawyer's point mm-hmm. of view is that, you know, as women, we have all these eggs. And, you know, they actually say we have millions, but apparently by the time you reach 12 or 13, you really only have like 100,000 left. It's like, you don't have millions by that point already. But so they quickly go downhill in the numbers and quality. And um, by the time you're in your 30s, they're they're going fast. So I I know that doctors would prefer that you, you, you know, froze them in your 20s to have really healthy eggs. And I think then, wow. you know, 33, 34, like that's, those are still good. And then once you start getting above 35, 36, 37, it all starts going down in quality. So, I mean, obviously, the earlier, the better is what a doctor would probably recommend. Uh, there are, of course, big companies that pay for, they'll pay for their employees to do this. Like Facebook has that as a benefit. But I think the big pitfall is that there's, it's a probabilities game that, yes, having eggs retrieved and cryopreserving them is, is good and offers you this chance of lengthening your, the, your fertility and how long you're, you're able to have healthy children. But, you know, like we saw last month, there was like a big uh, meltdown of a, a tank in San Francisco and also one in Cleveland where they just lost thousands and thousands of people's genetic material of all these embryos and eggs. So one, they could, they could lose your eggs. That happens apparently a lot. Um, and then two, like you just don't know that I've definitely read these stories of people who went through egg freezing thinking like this is my this is kind of my my guarantee my backup and then none of those worked out for them i think go into it like with an open mind that yes like it can really help and it can be this great tool but don't it's not guaranteed there was a meltdown and a tank like what kind of recovery can you expect if they lose your eggs i mean Oh my god! You don't read my articles, do you? you? You're showing that you don't read my column. I, I am hurt. I'm. A- Ellie does not do any of the editing, really. Wow, that, I, I, I that's fine. Yeah, I don't know okay. how to use a comma. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> and that's enough. a really tough question. Well, I've written many articles on this, and I, I definitely recommend people should read above the law and read my column about assisted reproductive technology. So yeah, so it was a major coincidence that these two different facilities lost thousands and thousands of, um, of gametes and embryos on the same day. And that's a really hard problem where there's been these cases where judges don't want to rule in favor of people who've lost gametes because they don't know how to understand what they are and what the value is, and they don't want to do wrongful death because that's really, uh, it wasn't a baby. Uh, like, yeah. what are we saying embryos yeah. are? And so I, I've actually done a couple of features on uh, this professor in San Diego, um, Dove Fox, who's written a lot about reproductive negligence and how the courts are kind of moving towards this understanding that doctors and clinics should have should be responsible for negligent acts like this, and there should be significant recovery depending on the situation. So, but it's a complex calculation of how what that recovery should look like, and you should definitely check out the articles. Yeah, I'd also, I'd imagine the um, people in that freezing game if they're smart, are going to start moving towards having all manner of releases and so on being signed, I would think, because they'd want to protect themselves from any risk of this, of a power outage screwing them, and legally, I would assume. Yeah, and I think most of them already do have fairly yeah. extensive consent forms that you're signing, and you know, the question is, to what extent is a court going to honor that? Right. Um, but I will say, since I'm talking to men, you know, we did just have a sperm bank 
um, director on, and she was really encouraging that all men should um, preserve their sperm as well for quality. So, Joe, I know you don't have kids yet, but yeah, yeah. you know, may- maybe you should think about it just, yeah, just in case, you know? Yeah. Again, I think The Hague does not think that it's a good idea for <laughs> me to have kids, so... No, but that, that is actually an important, important point. And, and again, none of us are doctors here. But, you know, if you're stuck in kind of 1970s science, you might not think that it's important. But the emergent science is that while men are arguably fertile for kind of as long as they want to be, the quality and the healthiness of mm-hmm. your sperm does deteriorate over time and with age. Um, so that if you want your kind of healthiest, you're, you're not that biologically different if you want your kind of healthiest um, reproductive cells you should kind of get them while they're young. I'm I already, on you, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I already have my kids. I'm I'm trying to argue for a vasectomy up in here. Uh, and <laughs> well, and you know and that's interesting. So this other kind of scenario keeps arising across the world in the United States, where someone so you're you have a partner or you're married, and one of you dies, and the survivors like we were planning on having kids. You know, can we retrieve their their sperm or their eggs? And obviously, we have the technology to what? do that now. But, you're but dead. the question is like, is consent there? And most people are trying to like, well, we were married. That was the plan. So Ellie, I think you should probably sign a form just in case you die to whoa, say if, whoa, if your wife wants more, that you should just authorize it. Like, might as well, right? Time out to do and for her. back up. <laughs> there are people that argue for necrophiliatic uh, uh, reproductive cell donations. Like that's an actual thing that somebody somebody will go into a court and say like, oh, I should be able to take the reproductive cells out of my dead partner so that we can have, I can have, because not we, I can have the child that we had planned on before the untimely death. Yeah, yeah. So I, no one, no one goes to court arguing for necrophilia that I know of. But <laughs> post post mortem retrieval and posthumous conception is definitely a thing. And I mean, even so, even Colorado, we have a provision in our estate in our probate code that says you can inherit. So, like my child can inherit from me as long as that child was conceived within 36 months of my death and born within 45 months of my death. So, if you had my my eggs, like they can still, and this child can still inherit from me. Oh, the, yeah, that you know that that transitions to an interesting other part of the practice, which is the whole estate planning part, because this raises all those issues. And the most interesting, I mean, one of the most interesting ones, the one you just yeah. said that it's forty-five months or whatever to get in on the inheritance game. Wait, wait, before yeah. you, before you go there, can I just ask this <laughs> post-mortem yeah. egg retrieval you- or sperm retrieval? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why it has that. That really freaks me out, but. Yeah. As it's been applied so far, has it only been applied to spouses? Like, for instance, could no, could no, my, no, they, you know, could your so s- sister no, th- get your other sisters? You yeah. know what yeah. I'm saying? So here, so there is a case in Israel where I think they have much stronger feelings about kind of bloodlines and legacy, like biological legacy, where this 17 year old girl was crossing the street and got hit by a car. And her parents argued to have her eggs posthumously postmortem egg retrieval and have her ovaries retrieved in order that they could have a biological continuation. And they won that case. But what? Wait. 
who's the who's some people feel very strongly about the continuation of your of your bloodline your 17 year old daughter maybe check with your spouse sign the consent form just in case she feels strongly <laughs> about your bloodline you know i don't know the quality of your dna but you're, she might feel strongly uh, about it very low but you're you're saying 17 year old girl dies parents argue to and succeed successfully postmortemly retrieve her eggs so they can mm-hmm. Find some other random sperm donor, and then find a sir, and then and and then have a biological granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yes. they would they yes. would that would that would be their yes. ward because if it's just a random sperm donor, it's not going to be. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that that's seems right. wrong to me. <laughs> well, I this I, is where this is where people feel differently about you know. There, See, I mean, this area, people have a lot of strong feelings about different parts of it. I mean, even older, I mean, there's a lot of parts that are, are pretty controversial like that or older, older parents, you know, having, if you're a couple in your 60s, can you use assisted reproductive technology to have a child? Is that unethical to bring a child so late? Or is that a problem of inequality because men can have kids at 80 and we don't, you know, bad an eye? Man, the, I don't think you should be allowed it. to buy a dog after you're 65, man. <laughs> That's just mean to the dog. Like, I don't... See, this is... this is, And Joe's laughing at me right now. Uh, yeah. Like, he, knows, he knows that there's this... I, I come off as this, like, kind of crazy, progressive liberal person it does not take me much take much mm. to, to to pull that kind of sheen off of me and get yeah. to my true conservative and, heart and really like <laughs> to back it up to be to be fair like these are kind of like the outlier cases i mean most people really are your average couple who just have infertility issues and turn to assisted reproductive technology or a donor or a surrogate just to have a child to get to the same place that anyone else would be. So, you know, these are really the outliers. Most people are just regular right. people who really want a child. Exactly. Most of it, most of it is not, it, I was going to use, I was going to sound like a conservative again. Most of it is, is just an equality kind of thing. Like, you know, there, there's the random happenstance of biology and you shouldn't be, we have the technology that we're not, that we don't have to be beholden to it in that stage. I was going to say, you know, it's, it's corrective um, in, in yeah. this kind of field. But what you, these outlier cases are not corrective. They're, they're I, I would argue, unnatural, right? Like they're, they're pushing the limits of what we were supposed, we were supposed to be able to do right. into this like, why aren't you with me on this? I mean, look, I, basically, since we talked about the posthumous thing, all I've been doing is trying to figure out how the rule against perpetuities works now. That's <laughs> really all I've been doing. It's yeah. it's totally blinded me. Yeah. No, and it, it kind of surprised me. So I, in addition to my law firm, I, have a, I co-own a surrogacy matching and support agency where we help kind of pair people who need a surrogate with someone who's qualified to be a surrogate. And when I started it, I really thought it was going to be, you know, 90% gay men couples because you know they don't have a uterus and it's kind of by default but really i found it's like nine tenths heterosexual couples with infertility who who aren't even that aren't even old they're just there's infertility is like really common right right it's like one in eight so to get to the inheritance a little bit but staying on the unnatural thing um (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes could you inherit your could you inherit genetic material from from somebody else? 
I can't imagine why you would want to do yes, that. Yes, yes, you can. Since no, we're talking there's about lots like, of fascinating. Oh, you yeah, should yeah. also. Re- I wrote this law review article about posthumous and postmortem conception, which you should read because it answers this. It was published in Savannah Law School, which unfortunately just is no longer there. Though, <laughs> but uh, well, the anyway, still so yes, no, there was Kate, like there was this big case. Um, I think it's the Hecht case in California where this man. You know, he gave sperm. He's, he cryopreserved his sperm, and he specifically wanted it to go to his girlfriend. And he even and he committed suicide. And in his suicide note, even he was like, I, you know, to those children I haven't had, I've dreamed of you, and I, you know, wish you all the best. He had like very clear intentions about giving her the sperm. His intentions that it be used, and his ex-wife and his two existing children fought against her receiving this and being able to use it. And they won on the trial level, but she appealed, the girlfriend appealed, and she won that, yes, you can inherit gametes and that people can can pass on to their beneficiaries as they choose. And even there was a, the two-year-old case I referenced um, where there was a case in Texas and this couple went through IVF and they were successful and they were able to have a child and they had 11 remaining cryopreserved embryos that they hadn't decided if they were having more kids or what they were doing. But when the child was only two, they were tragically murdered. And this probate court had to look at what am I going to do with these 11 embryos? And that probate judge decided that, well, embryos, you know, they have some value. So they're like property and therefore they should pass to the beneficiary. And that's his son. And so he specifically ruled that these embryos go to this two-year-old child. And he said to decide what to do with them when he is 18 years of age, meaning when he turns 18, he has the burden to decide, do I bring my siblings into being? Which I argue is not is not a good ruling. They you know, the parents should have had to specifically have consented to the use of their gametes after their death, which was not the case, but that wasn't how the judge saw it. That's horrific. <laughs> right? That 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 sets up the, the, the kind of dystopian future where you're bringing things into existence to basically be kind of a spare part. For your body, right? Like you, like I mean, you, that's what kids are now, right? <gasps> no. Oh, yeah. Like where that, you can no? like just. Oh. I mean, that's what the that's what the spare is for. That's what the second kid is for. Uh, <laughs> See, I have four, so I was like, oh, I need a couple extra spares. <laughs> you never know. Somebody might need an eye. You know, if you got four around, you're gonna be. But yeah, you can now bring in like so. Let's say the the, the, the two year old grows up and he's got like you know, whatever needs a kidney, and he's like, oh, make me a sister to. Give me a kidney. You can't really take a baby kidney, so it yeah. probably wouldn't be that situation. But I hear you. You could certainly drink enough by the eight, by the age of eighteen yeah. to know that you're no, going to need. Actually, so I, you know, I don't come one. across that in my daily daily life, but that is actually like a real thought process. And in Europe, there's a lot of um, legal framework about whether you can do pre genetic diagnosis or testing on embryos. And there are many countries that kind of ban doing certain testing or doing specifically like sex selection. So like choosing, choosing which sex you're going to plant. But then they have these exceptions, which is, they call like the savior sibling exception where, um, I mean, it's like to test for certain things that might be able to help a pre-existing child that you can do certain testing. So they definitely, that is something that comes into consideration. Wow. Well, um, I got nothing. That's, I, that's, <laughs> so I guess I guess this is where we should we should doctors shouldn't just ask if they could; they should ask if they should. Right? Yeah. Um, that's the old Pat Oswalt routine about this. Um, yeah. So I think guess this is the this is a good opportunity to address the Emory question. Um, 
to change yes. gears. So yeah. I guess the real issue with Emery... You that, too can go into a fascinating area of law. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. I guess our issue with Emory is not so much that it's not a good school, <laughs> is that whenever we're in a position where we're being asked, should I go to Emory or insert other school here, we almost always find ourselves in a situation where, like, Emory is so much more expensive than insert school X, and we're always like, given like if you're saying it's, Yale's that much more expensive, we're yeah. like, oh, I guess you you do that, but we're always like, Emory's just expensive enough that I'd prefer to go to the other one. Yeah, is what like I've always it, said. If it's Emory or or a state school, and the person wants to work in the state, the state school is going to be offering that person, um, the person who can get into Emory, the state school is going to be offering that person almost a full ride, yeah. right? And Emory's going to well, be. And you had another qu- So I went yeah. to Berkeley for undergrad, and you had another question that was like, someone had a ton of money to go to Berkeley and like less to go to Chicago and Penn. And I was right. like, Berkeley, obviously. But that was, not <laughs> your, that was not your take. Right. Well, because that, well, that's the other side of it, right? So then we get in. So the classic Emory problem is the person who, who gets into a state school, wants to stay in state, but Emory costs much, much more, right? The other Emory problem that we get into, and this is where your Sidley experience is, is interesting, is that the person gets into Emory, wants to go to big law. Emory is actually the cheaper school, but they also got into Duke. You know? Emory, yeah. And you're like, well, do you pay a premium for Duke over Emory if all you want to do is go to big law? So I don't know why Joe put you on the spot right now, because that was all <laughs> that's all him on his little computer machine. Mm. But uh, I don't well, no, she oh, said she said this Joe, was her mission for the day know, was to true. defend. And Joe, memory. I meant to say I love your your sound effects. So I, you know, when I try <laughs> no, to dance, we haven't done any for some today. like applause or laughs. No, no are yeah. they gone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I totally blanked on those today. All right, <laughs> they're so cheesy and bad. Defend your boy. Defend we memory. We don't have them on my podcast, so I don't know. We need to work on. We didn't for a long time. I had to. I had to really look around to find. Because Ellen, program. you have what's called self-respect. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's questionable. No. Okay, that's why. Good. We'll go with that. All right. Defend Emory. So yes. Okay. So what? So am I defending Emory? Is that the yeah, yeah, yeah. where we're where we're going? Yeah. No. Um. I, I had some amazing professors. They were you know brilliant and funny. And for me, a big part of it was I wanted to be in the like I chose to be in the South. That so I grew up in this really tiny town in New Mexico. I grew up in Los Alamos, New Mexico, where my dad was a nuclear engineer for the laboratory there but all of my extended family was from the deep south and they had the accent and you know ate fried green tomatoes and so i went to to berkeley for undergrad only because um technically the los alamos national laboratory used to be run by the university of california so i got in-state tuition it was really convenient and cheap and then i was like oh i want to kind of explore my roots so i i mean a big part was like i wanted to like see the south and be near my my family and you know, I did it, and then I was like, okay, that's good, I'll <laughs> go back to California. <laughs> no, I miss it, but, uh, you know, I decided not to live there for, for real, but, but I took it as an opportunity to explore that part of, of our country. It's Look, it's impressive that you took your graduate degree to do that, right? Because, like, people <laughs> usually do it the other way around. When they're when they're, they're going to explore, they're going to explore for yeah. college, and then they're going to go to graduate school. Well, you know, for law school, you're going to go best place to get into, for graduate school going to go for you know whatever i mean i see i see the logic that probably is a little that probably makes more sense but you know but once you get a job you're kind of tight i don't know i also studied abroad a lot so i studied in in russia in undergrad and i went to um ireland in law school and that was probably like i went during my last year and i didn't have a job lined up and i think that was probably not something 
if I had called in, I think you guys would have strongly recommended against <laughs> against studying abroad in law school. But fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, but no, I'm studying in Russia probably uh, today. That's actually important for law. Um, so anyway, because um, they run everything now. So thank you so much for joining us. This was great. We're uh, this is horrifying. No, well, I mean, Ellen, you were great. <laughs> yeah, when we talked about. Her. Well, I, I mean, you should check out. I want to put a baby in you, where yep. we tell the personal story. And let me give a one quick pitch before you. Absolutely. Get so, um, one of our upcoming episodes is, in fact, a partner at a at a big law firm who divorced at thirty five and still wanted to have kids and chose to go the sperm donor route, and then kind of found out that her sperm donor had like donated all these other people had used his sperm, and now has this like community where. Her kids have what they call diblings, which are like donor siblings. So what? they like know some of these like half siblings and kind of had made a community and a family. And I know that you're thinking a lot of this sounds weird, but it's actually like touching and amazing and that there's all kinds of families out there and, and she's good. So listen up for her coming this is up. Like a very special I want to put a baby in you. This is like a very special episode of Big Love at this point. <laughs> yeah, Ellie's not doing too well with this, but um, but no, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Everyone should check out I Want to Put a Baby in You. I want, you, you should Thanks. read the weekly columns uh, at Above the Law. Thank you so much, Ellen Trackman. And Thanks, thank guys. you, everybody, for listening to the show because you're the people who make this happen. You should give us reviews, not just give us stars, though those are good too, but give us like right out the full review. That helps. It improves the algorithm, and then more people can listen. You should read Above the Law. Generally, you should follow Ellie on at Ellie NYC. Uh, remember to tweet at him whether he should talk about Haiti or Scaredy Squirrel. I'm at Joseph Patrice, and I think that sums up everything I have to do. So, That's a wrap. All right. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you later. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.